Uh, and I'm excited about it. I've been, been really blessed by this book and preaching through it and studying it. Uh, I said last week, I'll say it again this week, uh, there is so much in the book of Jonah. And so I encourage you, even throughout the week, to go home, take it, meditate on it, study it. Uh, it's just been such a really uh, a, a true blessing to be able to work through this book. Well, as we continue to worship, let us go to the Lord one more time in a word of prayer as we declare our dependence on Him, especially as we desire to grow and to know and to understand uh, the, the meaning uh, of His Word. Let's pray together. Father, it is such a blessed thing for us to be able to come and to stand firmly on Your promises. We think of the blessed assurance that each one of us has because of Your Word and what it declares to us, that it tells us the story of the rugged cross, that it tells us the story of a God who is a mighty fortress, that it tells us the story of a God who came to earth in order that he might fight the battle against sin against the evil one in order that we might, even as we have been memorizing on Sunday nights, put on the whole armor of God, that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, that we might put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for our feet, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Certainly that is peace with our neighbors, but it is more importantly peace with you. As we look at the book of Jonah this morning and as we seek to understand its meaning even for us, Father, we believe and trust that you are a God who is working in the midst of our circumstances and that you are using even the difficult things to draw us closer to yourself. We're so thankful for it and we pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs> Jonah chapter 1 verse 16 as you think about the story of the book of Jonah, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? If you do a Google search on the book of Jonah, almost every image found there is a picture of Jonah next to a big fish. And I imagine that was the majority of your initial reactions to this book. Oh yeah, Jonah is the book of God's prophet and his encounter with a big fish. Now I find this somewhat curious because the fish literally only takes up two verses in this entire book. Needless to say, the fish is not the center of the story of Jonah. It would seem that if God desired for the big fish to be the center of the story, he would spend a little bit more time on it than just two verses. No, the fish is not the center of the story. Instead, at the center of the story of Jonah is God's great mercy. We find the fish in verse 17 of chapter 1, as well as chapter 2, verse 10. Look at it with me. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 says this, 
And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah chapter 2 verse 10 says this, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now we just spent three whole weeks and 12 full verses on God's interaction with the sailors from Tarshish. And yet, how often do you hear about the sailors from Tarshish in any conversation about the book of Jonah? No, instead, what we get caught up on, what the world tends to get caught up on here in the book of Jonah is a big fish. Now, this isn't to say that the fish isn't important. It certainly is. It is the very thing that Jesus cites as evidence for his Messiahship. We ought to take some time to consider the big fish. But he is not the center of the story. No, the focus of this story is God's outrageous mercy to those who deserve his righteous judgment. You see, the focus of the story of Jonah is God's great mercy to the pagan sailors, to Jonah, to Nineveh, and to you and to me. All who deserve God's wrath, but instead receive his salvation. Now, I think this infatuation with the big fish says something about the human condition. Often, we are obsessed with the extraordinary. We love the fantastical. We are enthralled with Marvel movies and the Lord of the Rings. We love stories of heroes and heroines with super strength accomplishing impossible feats in a far-off kingdom. And we contend to be fixated on tales of big fish swallowing men. Again, I'm not saying that that is a bad thing as long as we don't miss the overall point. You see, the story of Jonah is about God's mercy in the storm, in the fish, and even in the ordinary means of preaching to the people of Nineveh. You see, the story of Jonah leads from a storm that goes to a fish that goes to Jonah preaching the good news of God to the people of Nineveh and calling them to repentance. We might even say in this book that the marvelous leads to the mundane. Even at the end of the Lord of the Rings, we find our protagonist returning back to the Shire to life as normal. The closing scene is a heartwarming picture of Samwise returning to the homestead with his wife and children to enjoy the monotonous labor of tending gardens, mending scuffed knees, and delighting in second breakfast and afternoon tea. 
You see, beloved, the extraordinary is fine as long as it does not replace the ordinary. Because most of us live in the mundane. We're not off slaying dragons or protecting golden rings. Most of us, if not all of us, find ourselves at home cooking dinner, slaving away at the computer, or fixing broken sinks. We gather with the church week in and week out to sit under the monotonous practice of preaching. And yet, God is supernaturally interacting within each of those mundane situations. He is applying His miraculous grace as we raise our children, as we go to work, and yes, even as we listen to preaching. You see, the story of a giant fish is fine as long as we see it within the overall narrative of the book of Jonah and the Bible and furthermore, life itself. Even the fish here is a means that God uses to bring Jonah into full awareness of his own limited humanity and depravity. As Jonah spends time within its belly, he is reminded of who he is and what an amazing God he serves. And I trust that as you live life in the normal, each moment and each day, you too are reminded of your own limitations as you deal with yelling kids and labor at work and all of these things, you are reminded that you are limited and that God is unlimited and his desire is to speak and work in those situations. You see, those who want to focus on the fish are distracted from God's overall purpose of the story, which is to declare his mercy to you and to me. The fish plays a small role in communicating that message, but he does play a role. So let us this morning take verse 17 and see what we can find out for sure about this extraordinary measure from an extraordinary God to bring Jonah to the end of himself. There are two things that we know for sure from verse 17. We know where the and we know where Jonah went to. And so if you're following along with me in the insert in your bulletin this morning, the first thing that we know from sh for sure from verse 17 is where the fish came from. Where the fish came from. Notice it with me. Verse 17 says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Again, the details here are pretty sparse. We don't know much about the fish. We don't know its identity. Is it a whale? 
possibly? Is it some giant species of fish since extinct like the Leviathan? It's also possible. We find a reference to the Leviathan in Psalm 74, verse 13, where it says, You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for creatures of the wilderness. Is it possible that what the text is referring to here is that great sea monster? Again, it's possible. Maybe even more probable than it being a whale. But even further still, maybe it's just some special creation of God to fulfill this one purpose in this one instance. But beloved, we, we just don't know. And I think the reason we don't know is because it is not fundamentally important. What we do know from this text is that the fish was large and that the Lord appointed it. One commentary on this passage, which you can find on the insert in your bulletin, said this, says the word appointed used four times in the book of Jonah and always points to the Lord's power to accomplish His will. Here it shows His sovereignty over the creatures of the sea. In chapter 4, verse 6, it shows His power over plants. In 4.7, it shows His power over crawling creatures. And in 4.8, it shows His power over the wind. While God indeed may have prepared a special fish for Jonah, the text only indicates that God summoned the fish, common or special, to be at that place at that exact moment of need. Beloved, this is what is important. What we know in this text is that God exercised His sovereignty over the winds and the waves to place Jonah in the sea, and he exercised his sovereignty over the fish to be there at the exact moment to swallow up Jonah while in the sea. We know for certain from verse 17 that the fish came from God. Now the progression in God's sovereignty throughout the first chapter of Jonah is important. God has shown us so far His authority and ability over the wind and the waves and even over the casting of lots, both inanimate objects. Now we see God's sovereign control over a large fish or an animate object. In the progression of the book, we go from large winds and waves to small casting of lots, and then back to large again, a great fish. We go from inanimate objects to animate objects. What we learn throughout this book is that God exercises His perfect control over all of His creation, large and small, inanimate and animate, animal and human, for His glory and our good. Psalm 115, verse 3, which you can find on the insert in your bulletin, says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Psalm 135, verse 6, says, 
Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and on the deeps. Now, we may want to balk at such a reality. We may not want to give God this much authority and power over creation. We may want to reserve some measure of freedom for God's creatures. But here's the problem with that. God's exercise of power and authority here over the fish saved Jonah's life. And I would say further that God's exercise of sovereignty over the winds and the waves, over the casting of lots, over the fish, and all that has and will happen in this book saved Jonah's soul. You see, beloved, if God did not apply pressure to nature, then pressure would not have been applied to Jonah. Hear this, brothers and sisters. All of God's sovereign control is an exercise of God's loving care. Let me repeat that so we get it this morning and we don't miss the point of what is happening here in the book of Jonah. All of God's sovereign control is an exercise of God's loving care. You see, Jonah was sure to perish in the sea. Too far from shore to swim back, Jonah, if left to himself, would have surely drowned. Not only in his sorrows, but in life itself. You see, the exercise of God's sovereignty saved Jonah. Beloved, this is always the case. God always moves primarily or secondarily in creation to bring about the most glory to himself and the most good to his creatures, no matter how hard or difficult the circumstances. Now, of course, we learn of this reality in a passage like Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I'm sure many of you have it memorized. But do me a favor, keep your finger in the book of Jonah and turn over with me to Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. Says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that what Paul means here is that God appoints even the hard things in our lives to conform our hearts ever more into the image of his Son. For he goes on to say in Romans 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so we know that God works all things to good, so that we as the church might be conformed evermore into the image of his Son. And what we learn further in Romans chapter 8 is that the primary instrument that God uses to conform us into His image is suffering. 
Romans 8.28 is set within the context of suffering. Notice it up in verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Jump down in Romans 8.26. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Jump down to Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we learn in the book of Jonah, and even from Paul in Romans chapter 8, is that God appoints even the suffering in our lives to draw us away from our worldly confidences and in closer fellowship and confidence in Jesus. This fish came from God. That is undisputed. It was sovereignly placed in this very place, at this very time, for the purpose of leading Jonah to repentance and faith. Which leads us to the second thing we know about this passage. Not only do we know where the fish came from, but we know where Jonah went to. We know where Jonah went to when swallowed by the fish. Notice as we finish out verse 17, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now here is where the story turns from probable to improbable. From, yeah, that could have happened, to, yeah, right, there's no way that happened. Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Not in the mouth of the fish, not in the throat of the fish, but in the belly of the fish. Now let me start off by saying first that I don't think that this is hyperbolic or allegorical in any way. This isn't some abstract fish that is supposed to stand for some moralistic lesson. If everything else in the account of Jonah's life so far has been a historical event, then this is too. And I'm not sure why we would be so surprised at that fact. If God can appoint a storm and then make that storm grow in intensity 
and then immediately bring that storm to halt, then why is it so hard for us to believe that he can also appoint a fish and sustain Jonah within the belly of that fish for three days and three nights? And so my intent is not to show that this really could have happened in history because we see some small incidents of it happening in the news or in a historical account. I actually think that lessens the force here. The purpose of the fish here is not to try to explain the outrageous nature of Jonah's circumstances, but instead to see the outrageous lengths that God will go to in order to bring Jonah back into fellowship with himself and back on course with the mission that God has called him to. I actually wonder if part of the reason we know so little about the fish is for the very fact that Jonah does not want us to get caught up here. It's almost as if he tells us this detail in passing. Oh, by the way, God appointed a fish and I spent three nights and three days in its belly. The detail is significant, not so much because it is outrageous, but because it shows the depths that some of us must go before we realize how good God really is. Again, we know for certain that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the fish's belly. And he says the belly specifically. Now I think this detail is significant. That is that he spent the three days and three nights in the fish's belly for two reasons. The first is because it fits with the literary feature of Jonah going down, down, down into the depths of his despair and depravity. Remember, if you can, Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down into the bottom of the boat. And here he goes down into the belly of the fish. The detail here is true enough, but it is telling us something about Jonah's journey with God. Jonah is determined to disobey the will of the Lord. And his journey from there is down into the depths of the deep. We're going to see this even clearer next week when we pick up Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. But I think this detail brings out something else in even more vivid picture. And that is of Jonah's experience in the belly of the well, the whale or the fish, whatever you would refer to it as. What we find out in this passage is not only the depths of Jonah's despair, but also his discomfort while he was there. Imagine if you could for a second. Being swallowed by a fish. 
But then try to imagine even further sliding down the fish's throat. And yet further still, imagine if you can being constrained within its belly. The walls of the fish's stomach fully restraining your arms and your legs. There is no place to move. There is no space to squirm. There is no room to wriggle. And imagine further, if you can, spending three nights and three days like that. I tell you, as someone who is awfully claustrophobic, this would be my worst nightmare. I can feel my skin crawl even thinking about it. And maybe this morning you have the benefit of having a claustrophobic pastor. Because I think what the text is seeking to communicate here is that Jonah is absolutely uncomfortable in the belly of the whale. That's the point. James Boyce says this about this passage. As to whether a man could survive in a whale's stomach, the Encyclopedia Britannica maintains that he certainly could, though in circumstances of very great discomfort. There would be air to breathe of a sort. It is needed to keep the animal afloat. But there would be great heat, about 104 to 108 degrees Fahrenheit. Unpleasant contact with the animal's gastric juices might easily affect the skin, but the juices would digest living matter. Otherwise, they would digest the walls of the creature's own stomach. The situation that Jonah finds himself in would cause any man woman or child, claustrophobic or not, to be extremely uncomfortable. Now I want you to do a little exercise for me this morning to try to impress this reality upon your hearts and minds. Kids, here's the opportunity for you to be involved. This is what I want you to do, adults as well. Put your arms as close to your body as possible. Go ahead. And then put your feet and your legs as close together as possible. Now I want you to stay like that for the rest of the sermon. <laughs> Let's see if you can do it. Imagine that you're in that position for three days and three nights. Beloved, to be honest with you, I would much rather be on the deck of a ship that is being tossed to and fro and wrecked by the waves than to be stuck in the belly of a fish for even a second. And so what's the point of all this? I think it's twofold. The first is that Jonah has gotten himself into an absolutely uncomfortable situation. His disobedience has brought him further and further down into his despair to the point that God is mimicking his spiritual state with his physical circumstances. He is entirely constrained by his rebellion. He is shackled by his sin. And beloved, how often 
Do we find ourselves there? How often do we get ourselves into a mess that we cannot clean up? How often do we dig ourselves into a hole that we cannot get out of? Beloved, let me assure you with this. God can clean up your circumstance. He can lift you out of that deep pit. And His desire is for you to cry out to Him in repentance and faith and to depend upon His mercy to rescue you. But there's a second principle that I think we learn here. And it's this. Some of the most uncomfortable situations that we find ourselves in, God uses for our redemption. Let me say that again, just so we don't miss it. What I think this principle of Jonah in the belly of the fish teaches us is that some of the most uncomfortable situations that we find ourselves in, God uses for our redemption. You see, as a culture, we are obsessed with comfort. We buy luxury cars and spend our savings on destination vacations. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But what I am saying is that our obsession with comfort has led us to believe that there is no value in the uncomfortable. I might even go so far to say that we as a culture avoid discomfort at all costs. But beloved, hear this. The most uncomfortable invent in all of history was used for the salvation of the world. Discomfort can often be the instrument that God uses for the most benefit in your life and in history. You see, because there's a third thing we know for certain about this event in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And it is that Jesus uses this single verse to point to his purpose in coming to the earth. And that was to die on behalf of sinners in order that we might be saved. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. You can find it on the insert in your bulletin. says this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You see, the cross was not a comfortable event for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He even sweats blood at its prospect. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44. But God used the most uncomfortable event in human history to bring about the sweetest salvation for those who trust in Him. Jesus endured the pouring out of God's wrath and suffered eternal death so that we might enjoy eternal life. The fish here is intended to point us to God's means of redemption. The fish here is intended to point us to the way that God works through the uncomfortable things in our life. Beloved, don't shy away from things because they are hard or uncomfortable. For we know that God uses those things in our lives to bring us to an end to ourselves, to our agendas, and to our desires. And in the uncomfortable, we are driven evermore into the arms of our Savior. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Beloved, hardship conforms us into the image of Jesus because Jesus endured the greatest of all hardships to accomplish salvation. And as we endure, we are drawn evermore into dependence upon Him for our hardships. We appropriate the strength and the willpower that he himself exercised in his endurance. We experience the very same joy that he experienced as he looked to the final goal. And so in the midst of our discomforts, whether brought on by our own rebellion or not, Jesus is calling us to rely and trust in Him. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Beloved, discomfort is never a reason we should avoid God's call on our lives. You see, if Jonah never finds himself in the belly of the great fish, then he is never confronted by his own depravity and limitations. And he never has the opportunity to embrace the outrageous mercy of God to save him from his situation. Beloved, embrace the uncomfortable. May I say, delight in the uncomfortable. As, counter, as counterintuitive as that is, God is calling each one of us 
to embrace the uncomfortable because it's in that that he conforms us to the image of his son as we trust in him. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for this truth. We're so thankful that you use even the hard things in our lives to draw us closer to yourself. And so, Father, as we come to you, we desire for you to teach us that which you desire from us this morning. Father, I trust that there are those within this room, maybe each one of us, that are facing some hard situation. In the midst of it, Lord, may we declare our depravity, our limitations, and may we depend fully on your grace to get us through it. We're so thankful that you use even the mundane to accomplish your purposes in our lives. And so, Father, would you use it mightily even this week? We're so thankful for it, and we pray this in your name.